All right. Well, happy Sunday. Good to see all of you. And um, before we jump into the message, I just got to do this. Is um, Chris here? Chris and Sarah, are they in this room here? Where are they? Are they hiding? Pastor Paul, do you see them? Are they hiding? Are they were they at first service? Ah, oh, I missed my chance. They got engaged, so I was going to embarrass them. But maybe they knew, and they are sneaking around somewhere. But I will embarrass them more now next week. All right, so um, we are happy to be here. And um, as we saw that movie trailer, we rented out the whole theater. It's going to be like Crossway's event. And uh, you think of all the silliness that's out there today, especially in the form of entertainment, and how nice it is to go and redeem some of that, to go watch um, and to be in this kind of place and to watch truth and what beauty and love really looks like. And so invite a friend, come out. And um, yeah, this talks about adoption, but really the, the, uh, you know, the value of life, um, what faith does to someone. There's so many lessons. And so we're excited to host this viewing that's uh, very limited. And so uh, make sure you pick up your ticket today. And... Um, uh, you know, today we're going into 1 John chapter 4, and today we're going to be talking about how we have to contend for our faith. We have to stand up for our faith. Um, and when it comes to being a Christian, uh, it's probably happened to many of you already, and if not, it will happen to you where someone will question you, and someone will, um, you know, really want to know why you believe what you believe. There are many people that will have opinions about Jesus. And think about this. Jesus Christ um, has had so many in the world that have come up with their own opinions. And you might have you know, sat with people, um, maybe a family member or a friend, and they come and give you their theology about who Jesus is. Well, I think God is like this, and Jesus is like that. And you know, I don't believe a God that would do this. And I think this. And they might come and share those things with you. And so we have to be very careful. Because everyone in the world is going to come and have some kind of an opinion about who he is, right? Um, you know, a couple of quotes I wanted to share with you. John Lennon said about Christianity, Christianity will go. It will vanish and shrink. I need not argue with that. I'm right, and I will be proved right. We're more popular than Jesus now. I don't know which will go first, rock and roll or Christianity, right? Uh, no, he was wrong, right? And uh, uh, you have Oprah Winfrey, and I watched a clip of her answering uh, about Christ. And, you know, she says, there couldn't be possibly just one way. What about Jesus? Does God care about your heart? What does he care about if you call on his name? There isn't one way. And you had the, uh, the, the famous uh, atheist, Frederick Nietzsche, who says, Jesus died too soon. If he had lived to my age, he would have repudiated his own doctrine. And so you have people that have come out, and you have people modern day today that will say and give you their two cents about who Jesus is. Whether they're religious, whether they've read the Bible, uh, they will say, this is who I think Jesus is. And it's from Hollywood, it's from the world, it's, it's the world will say this. And you say, what? You think about this. Right? If someone says they don't believe in Jesus, why do they get so worked up about it? Right? If I don't believe in Santa Claus, 
I'm not angry that you believe in Santa Claus. I say, well, hey, hey, man, you're, you know, 21, you believe in Santa Claus? Oh, whatever, you know? Hey, that's, that's you. It, it, it's trivial to me, but why is that? Why, is there, why are there people so angry about that, against that, and label themselves, uh, I'm an atheist, I believe there is no, I don't say I'm a, a Santa Claus, you know, like I'm against Santa. Why do people do that? Why, why would they do that? You think about it. There's a spirit in this world. And John talks about this, a spirit of this idea of antichrist. And that's why there is so much opposition, there's so much persecution in our world today. And we have to be very careful to protect our faith. It is very important to go and read the Bible, to go to a church, to teach our children, to teach ourselves, to be a part of a community where we say this is how we believe and what we believe matters. We have to contend for our faith. Uh, You know, it's... In the uh, first student handbook, um, 1636 at Harvard University, these were the words that were written in there. Let every student be plainly instructed and earnestly pressed to consider well the main end of his life and studies is to know God and Jesus Christ, which is eternal life, and therefore to lay Jesus Christ as the only foundation of all sound knowledge and learning. And seeing the Lord only giveth wisdom, let everyone seriously set himself by prayer in secret to seek it of him. Uh, at that point, 50% of graduates were studying to go into ministry and becoming pastors. And so you see what happens is if we don't stand for what is the truth, um, it gets eroded over time. It gets compromised over time. And today I want to share with you, with all of us here, that this is not the pastor's job or the the professor's job, but this is for all Christians, that we have to stand up for our faith. Because the spirit of the world will keep coming and wanting to now compromise what you believe. Do you really believe that? Is that really practical? You know, and, and those questions will continually be asked, and it will now go against us. Now, how do we contend? In our text today, I'm going to share these four parts, that it happens through discernment, through confessing Christ, thirdly, through having a confidence in the gospel, and fourthly, to continue learning the word. And we see that here, and I want to share that with you. Just a little background here, you know, uh, commentators and many people that have written about this have talked about how in the church in those days there were a lot of false prophets and people would come and even do supernatural things or what seemed like it and people would get won over by the experience not by what was truth and so they say oh I felt something I saw something I witnessed something someone so said they said saw something so that must be true Sam Storms he says this the background to this passage is the abundance of of supernatural activity and phenomena in the early church. Tongues, healings, prophecies, deliverance, etc. John's readers were apparently given to the uncritical acceptance of anything supernatural. It remains for John to inform them that the supernatural is not always divine. And so it's not just about this. And I remember, uh, you know, I remember in college, and these are one of those pivotal moments in my life where I was taking a philosophy class and I was studying for finals and no sleep for a couple days, you know, just a bunch of coffee in my system and studying for this. And I had to, um, I was studying all these philosophers who were now atheists and you got Marx and all of his um, contemporaries and we're, I'm studying it over and over. And after that, I remember I came, kind of had a crisis of, do I believe in God? Did we make God? Did God make us? And I started asking myself these things. 
And it was at that point where I said, well, if there is God, I'm going to believe him 100%. If not, I'm going to just live for myself. And I, I wrestled with this for this three-day period, I remember. And coming to the conclusion, yeah, there is God eventually. And, and doing that. But I remember I was really shaken taking that class. Um, years later, at, at seminary school, and it's very different, you know, uh, as I was getting more grounded in the word, um, and as I was learning more, and I realized, boy, this is the truth, um, I had to do a similar assignment in one of my classes, apologetics class. Apologetics is a, the defense of the gospel, the defense of the faith. And in it, it talked about, uh, I had to do a critical paper on Bertrand Russell's paper on atheism. And I had to refute it, and you, know, you, you would say, what was wrong with his argument, and how would I argue these things? And I had to write this big paper. But by that point, I was so excited to write the paper. And I wrote this paper, and I was like, Bertrand Russell was, you know, he was so dumb. And I was so excited. And our classmates, and this was like, you know, kind of nerdy seminary guys. You know, we were so excited to do this. And like, gosh, you know, and I talked about this and this. Um, and, you know, the more we grow, the, the more we grow in our faith, the more we can now be confident when we face someone. And today, I just want to encourage you, and I want to share with you why and how we can do this um, in these four parts. Number one, we have to be more discerning. You know, discernment comes with uh, wisdom, right? Discernment says yes to certain things and no to certain things. As you have gotten older, you have now learned discernment, right? And you're trying to teach this to your kids or a younger sister or younger brother. This is what you ought to say yes to, what you ought to say no to. Uh, discernment says, you know, when I get an email from someone from Nigeria promising me $100,000, ah, delete. You know, whereas maybe when I was young, I might have bought into it. So discernment says yes, discernment says no. And we have to learn to spiritually discern much in life. Uh, verse 1, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world, it says. Um, tells us to do two things. One is negative, one is positive, right? You see that there. The negative part, do not believe every spirit. The word spirit is used here. It's the idea of a messenger, a prophet, someone that comes and says, oh, I, I have some revelation. I got something from God. Don't believe everything. Don't be gullible. Don't believe everything. But test the spirits, right? Don't believe everything. Test the spirits. Uh, John Stott said about this unbelief, then I quote him, he says, unbelief can be as much a mark of spiritual maturity as belief. And someone will come to you, and someone on TV will say to you, and someone will say, boy, I heard this, and this is so nice. And you have to have the discernment to say, I don't buy into that. I don't know about that. I'm not going to agree with everything just because it seems practical. And it tells us, secondly, to test whether they are from God. Um, in that verse, test the spirits to see whether they are from God. So you want to be skeptical and you want to ask questions, is this really from God? If someone comes and says, oh, I have a message and I think it's from God and they tell you something, you have to ask, is it really from God? And it does. We, we do that by getting wiser in the word. We have to be discerning in this way. You know, the word test there is in, in the original language, it's in the present tense. It means a continual action. So keep testing. As you are in this journey of Christian life, of your Christian life, keep testing the things you hear, the things you read. 
someone so at work will come to you and say, boy, this is great, and I got this quote from so-and-so, and we have to keep saying, well, does it measure up to the Word of God? And I have to test these things. It is very important. G.K. Chesterton says this, once people stop believing in God, the problem is not that they, they believe nothing. Rather, the problem is that they will believe anything. And this is the uh, tendency of the culture today that we live in. You know, uh, J.P. Moreland in his book, uh, Loving God with All Your Mind, he, he gives a little history about what he calls anti-intellectualism in America, in the church. And he, he says in the middle 1800s, he, he kind of traces these revival movements that had happened from George Whitfield and the first great awakening in the 1730s and 50s to the second awakening and Charles Finney. And uh, there were a lot of good things. And th this is where the whole idea of the altar call got started and people would now, now make a confession now and people would come up and they started doing these things. But one of the things that he says, he says, their overall effect was to overemphasize immediate personal conversion to Christ instead of a studied period of reflection and conviction. Emotional, simple, popular preaching instead of intellectually careful and doctrinally precise sermons. The personal feelings and relationships with Christ instead of a deep grasp of the nature of Christian teaching and ideas. It was featured there. And so uh, we kind of see that today. It's like here and now, do it now. Um, are you blessed? Are you touched? You know, do you feel something now? And today, unfortunately, many of the big gatherings, and even in the churches today, it is about, man, it's the here and now. Boy, I felt something now. And so a lot of people today say, boy, I felt something. It must be real. And a lot of people say, oh, I feel nothing towards God, so I'm not going to go to church. It's not real. If we relied on our feelings... People think about it. If we rely on our feelings, we wouldn't have our jobs. <laughs> we wouldn't be married anymore. Um, we wouldn't be raising our kids. We, uh, think about this. Uh, you know, you wouldn't have any friends if you relied simply on your feelings. And here we have to have discernment to know what is right, what is wrong, what to believe, what not to believe. So we have to discern. Secondly, we have to confess Christ. He is the center. He is the head of the church. He, who he is matters more than anything else. We, as his followers, as Christians, we have to understand who Christ is. He's the essential um, of the church. And so it says here in verse 2, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. So who he is, his origin, where he came from, that he was in the flesh. And a couple weeks ago, we talked about these um, heresies that were going around, these misunderstandings of who Christ is. It is very important that we understand him and we know that he's the central figure of the church. He's the head of the church. He's the king of my life, the Lord of my life. If that is going to be true, we have to have a proper understanding of him. Many of you are, have gone through the membership class, some of you six, seven years ago, some of you just recently, and in our membership class, we spend the first hour and so, hour and a half, going over essential doctrines, and we kind of summed it up in four parts, right? A source of authority, which is scripture only, uh, the source of salvation is by faith in, in his grace only, not by works. The triune God, Father, Son, Spirit, distinct persons, uh, yet one God. 
And then an emphasis on who Christ is, right? 100% man, 100% God, uh, who Jesus Christ is. Now, it's interesting because um, I, I know it so easily uh, because I've sat through that membership class all 45 times we've had it, right? And, um, uh, and I don't teach it. You know, Pastor Sam does the, the first four sections and I just do the end. And so I've sat through it after lunch uh, for 45 times. So I, I should get an award for that. And I was asking him last time after our last class, I, I kind of said, um, you know, wow, Pastor Sam, you know, um, you've done this now 45 times or whatever it was. I was like, wow, that's pretty good, 45 times. You don't even need notes, you know, you just, you could just do it. And then Pauline was in the room, and I kind of jokingly asked, I said, what, what, what's more impressive, that he could teach it 45 times, or I've sat through it 45 times. And she goes, sitting through it 45 times. Like, that, that is a lot more impressive, right? Um, but really, to, uh, to understand that, right, to understand the foundation that Jesus Christ, the center of our church, the, the head of our church, what I believe about him matters, and yet, everyone has some kind of random opinion about him. And if we take everyone's opinion, what popular America says today, what the world says today, it is not the picture of who Jesus is in the Bible. And so we have to confess him clearly that he has come in the flesh and is from God. And we have to understand that. Right? Um, thirdly, uh, we are contending for the faith by having confidence in the gospel. I think the Antichrist, the, the spirit of the world, right? Satan out there wants to get us away from the gospel into bondage again, into sin and guilt again. Because sin and guilt tells us I'm not worthy, I'm not good enough, I'm not going to go there. I, I haven't earned it, I'm so bad. The, the gospel says he knows you're unworthy, but he loves you anyways. And the gospel message for many is um, it hurts their pride. It says, well, I, I deserve something, I'm better than I think. And you hear much of the, uh, what is taught today that is incorrect often is about the elevation of man. That men are good. Men, the, the, the human beings, we're pretty good. We're like God. We're a God, as cults would say. You are God. Jesus is your sibling. You are one of the gods. And it's to bring Christ down. It's to lift me up. We need to have a confidence in the gospel. Now, verse 4, it kind of... Uh, as I read this, you, you see this. There's this you and them type of discussion here, a contrast of the two. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They, verse 5, are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. Now, it's interesting, right? In the King James, in the Old English, you know, the plural of you was ye, y-e, and it says ye. Uh, ye are from God. It, you all are from God. It's saying it's in the plural. Versus they, the outsiders, the world. They are not from God. They're from the world. And so what we see, and we have to, and, and I bring this idea of having confidence in the gospel here, is this. The majority. The majority will come up with a different message. Um, when Jesus talks about wide is the path of destruction, narrow is the road to him. You know, the door is narrow. It's the idea that it's majority have it wrong. Why? Um, and often we get consumed by majority, masses. They think it's good. The world thinks it's good. But he says the messenger is from the world. He gives a message about the world, and the world accepts it. 
Uh, we have to understand this very clearly. What is the message of the world? Well, the message of the world is live for the here and now. Live as if this life is the only thing that counts. Then what would I focus on? Well, my health, wealth, um, and my well-being. I mean, isn't that all it is? And if the messenger says, well, it is all about your health, wealth, and your well-being, then the masses will follow that message. But the gospel says, it is not about this. You following Jesus is about denying yourself, taking up your cross and following him. Following Jesus can be very difficult. Following Jesus has led his disciples uh, to be ostracized, to be killed, uh, to be arrested wrongly. They've gone through this, and that we see it today in the news. It's going, it's happening today. To follow him doesn't mean that life is all perfect and nice and that he will make smooth everything that you go. Follow him means I will follow him wherever he goes, and if he is persecuted, I will be persecuted. You look at the world today. Um, you look at what is happening in the persecution of the world today, of, of ISIS and these things that's going on. Uh, why are they picking on the Christians? Why is there this kind of persecution? And these people who are now dying for their faith, losing their family members for their faith, maybe at times would look at Western Christianity and the big production and the nice things and the I feel good and it's all about fun. And they're going to say, wow, really? Because it looks nothing the same. It looks nothing alike. And we are called to have a confidence in the gospel that it is God has saved me through Christ. And it doesn't matter what the world says. It doesn't matter what the New York Times bestsellers list tells us that it it works, it's practical. No, it's about following Jesus. And we're going to be tested over and over, and it says the world will listen to them. And this is where we got to take confidence that the message that we have, it's not for everyone. Most will reject this, and i got to cling on to this. Because the world will say, come on, you know, really, let's just let, let's just, Say everyone is this. And they'll come up with all their things. You know, and, and Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, 3, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, will, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Jesus says in Matthew 7, 14, Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. And what we see in our world today is now in, in, in Western Christianity is, is the world, the culture around us saying, come on, let's, let's, let's change things around. That's not what we believe. And the media keeps telling us, boy, that's not what we believe. A couple years back when uh, Mitt Romney was running uh, for president and uh, one of the pastors, Robert Jeffries, uh, one of the largest churches in Texas came out uh, on behalf of Rick Perry when he was running against him at the time and uh, prayed and, and called out um, that Mormonism was a cult, that Mormons are a cult. And the media went crazy over this. And they were like, how can you say that? Did you mean that? And they went to Rick Perry directly. Uh, you know, do, do you believe that as well? And he backed off. He said, I don't believe that. You know, I, I don't believe that. And think of the pressure that he had to face. And I was like, you know, I was so disappointed too because I'm like, you invited the guy to come up and I'm sure you knew he was going to say that. And now you're going to say you don't know, you don't believe that they're a cult. 
Theologically, when you think about the term occult, it's someone that's outside of the orthodox teaching in those four parts. They're a cult. They're theologically a cult. But the world says, oh, did you say that? Do you believe that? Oh, how bad of you. That's intolerant of you. How can you label someone? Well, I'm not labeling someone. That's by definition of what a cult is. That kind of pressure, um, whether we're, you know, we're not running for the president or uh, anything high profile, but it will continually, I, I think it'll just gradually increase in our lives. And those around us at work, those that we run into, and people will start questioning, do you believe all these things? Are you sure? Um, and there will be that kind of persecution that we will have to face. Fourthly, in order to contend for our faith, we have to learn the word. We have to hear the word. We have to study the word. We have to learn the word. Right? Uh, I like what Charles Spurgeon said about John Bunyan. He says, if you cut John Bunyan, he would bleed scripture. Right? He, he was all about the scripture. And the text here tells us this in verse 6. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. We are from God, he says. We. Whoever knows God listens to us. Now, uh, back in those days, there was no formed Bible. There was no New Testament yet. Uh, many of the teachings were going around in an oral fashion. And so they would teach these things um, and he says, they would listen to us. And John speaking about him and the disciples and his, the ones that were teaching these things. They would listen to us. But whoever is not from God does not listen to us. He says, whoever knows God listens to us. And again, it, it, in the original language, it's in the present tense. It's, it's a continual process. You continue to listen. You continue to study. You continue to be in the word. And I want to encourage and challenge you to be in the word, to study the word, to know the word, and to know it well, and to study it for yourself, not just the one-verse feel-good devotional, but to understand and to get books where smarter people than us have written things and come up with great ideas and the way they've organized the Bible and to read and to grow. And not to be satisfied with a second or third grade level of knowledge, but to say, hey, I've been walking with God 15 years. Some of you have been walking with God 20 years. That I need to grow in this way. Because the less we know, the more doubts we will have. The less that we are in the word, the more shaky our foundation will be. And I encourage you to have a fertile soil of a heart and keep planting the word of God in there. Um, you know, the psalmist says this in Psalm 19, right? The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter than honey. It's interesting you read this. The world is rejecting who Jesus is. The world is changing who he is. And the world now follows that, and we're like, I feel like I'm being left out. I, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's a majority rule thing. You think about our Lord Jesus Christ. He came to his own, and his own 
received him not, the Bible says. He came to his own people and they rejected him. And so the one who has been rejected by the world gives us a message that is rejected by the world. And we now follow after him. My prayer and my hope for us is that we would be people of the word. And we would stand up for our faith. And even if I'm the only one, I would stand up for the faith. And that we would live out our Christianity, not in a simple, convenient fashion, but with all that we have. Let's pray together. Dear God, with everything, with all of our lives, our hearts, our minds, we want to now walk closely with you. We want to contend for the gospel. And God, would you give us courage? Would you give us wisdom for discernment? And would you, Lord, help us now to go and share the message as well? So we ask for those things, God. The world has rejected you. The world rejects your message. It's foolishness. It's a stumbling block, it says in the word. And we see it today. And so, God, we want to now grasp onto you tightly. Jesus Christ, you mean everything to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to have a time of offering.